0: This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Jonathan Grant. Jonathan Grant is the director of the Policy Institute at King's College London. Jonathan, you wrote a a piece for E-Sharp just after the referendum result at the end of June, where you talked about, I'm an expert and I'm proud of it, and you made a a comment uh, about the anti-foreign, anti-expert sentiment and much the the debate during the referendum campaign. Could you talk a bit about what you meant by that?
1: Yes, I I think one of the... um Sort of shocking aspects of the debate we had um, up to the referendum on June twenty third was how we um, challenged the role of the expert in society. And, and Michael Gove, the former Mus- Justice Minister, um, came out with a statement saying, "You know, the, the the country's had enough of experts." And I think that was a very, very dangerous um, comment to make, and something that, um, as an expert, as I uh, make clear in that article, we we, we need to. But to uh, um, rest, I think, we, I think there are a number of issues going on in that. Um, the expert is being conflated with elites, um, and clearly there is also an anti-elite um, sentiment in the referendum debate. Um, we have to be careful what we mean by elites, because there are elites that are deserved, they're merit-based elites mm-hmm. who we've um, asked to make decisions on our behalf. And there are probably elites that are not deserved who haven't gotten to those um, positions of power through um, merit um, type routes. So I think we've got to unpack what we mean by elites. And then we have to unpack what we mean by experts. And as I point out in that article, um, you know, if my toilet leaks, I call a plumber. <laughs> um, a plumber is an expert. We are all experts. And we've got to really start to respect the fact that everybody's an expert. And I think that becomes even more important when we start to discuss um, sort of managing process of exiting um, from the EU, because it's going to be clearly a very complicated pro- process, a very difficult process, and one where we're going to need experts to help
0: us. And you see in that that the, the government may have a uh, a, a, a need to, a, to consult people like yourself, experts, to, to manage that process?
1: I think the government's going to need to um, yes, consult experts right across the spectrum. Um, you know, it's interesting, um, the last few weeks we've seen lots of media um, talk about um, headhunters being hired to identify trade negotiators. Well, trade negotiators are experts by definition.
0: Okay. Well, the the impact, therefore, on on your community, the broad science and research community, Uh, do you have any concerns about the impact of both, not just of Brexit, the vote on 23rd of June, but also the the structuring of the new May government on the the innovation economy as as a whole?
1: Um, Yes. Well, I think there are a number of challenges, clearly. And I I think we need to be careful how we um, frame those challenges. So I'm increasingly of the view that we should be planning to a scenario where Brexit does mean Brexit. Um, and in that scenario, you have to really think deeply about what does the UK look like as a um, country in, you know, say, 15 years' time. And the more analysis I do around that, the more I think it's about becoming you know, the world's best um, innovation economy, um, to be ambitious. And if you unpack that, what do we mean by an innovation economy and what are the success criteria in an innovation economy? And I think there's sort of two sets of um, criteria in that. There's a bunch of technical stuff, which is going to be absolutely core to the Brexit negotiations. Um, How will we manage a migration system, a visa system that allows for mobility of the highly skilled workers? Um, How will we manage student visas going forward? How will we ensure that British researchers can continue to collaborate with European, American, Japanese, Chinese researchers going forward? Um, but all of those, in my mind, are they're, they're technical issues which we need to push hard on, um, but they are resolvable. I think the um, sort of the biggest challenge actually goes back to our introductory remarks about this sort of anti-expert, anti expert, um, anti foreign sentiment, and something that we really have to. Um, challenges a society because we won't be an innovative economy if we are seen to be anti expert and anti folk.
0: Okay. Just as you said, though, there was a tendency during the campaign to to conflate uh, elites and, and experts. Yes. Again, when it comes to immigration, is there a tendency maybe not to make a distinction between highly skilled and, and non-skilled uh, foreigners, quote unquote? And in that, in itself, is slightly discriminatory. It basically, I'm being provocative when I say this, but you're saying that highly skilled workers should have no problem getting uh, continued access to uh, to working in the in the United Kingdom, but less skilled workers uh, less so.
1: I think when you follow the logic through, that's where you end up in in this new Brexit um, environment. I'm uncomfortable with that at a personal level, um, but when you sort of work out what the um, long-term ambition the UK needs to be, and what the requirements are for that, you end up in that sort of place.
0: But you also said in your article that uh, we absolutely need the best and brightest minds to secure our future yeah. as a strong and wealthy nation, and many of those minds will be foreign. To what extent, I know it's very early days, I do yeah. appreciate that, but to what extent do you think that, is, that has any traction already with the new, new government, or do they need a lot of education uh, already now?
1: So, well, I think that you know we we have a new government in place. We have a um a set of new ministers, and I think um everybody in um sort of Westminster and Whitehall and um, the surrounding um lobbyists and policy analysts and people like myself are still trying to get our heads around who's who, and who knows what, and um what the sort of the agenda is for the um new government. I think at face value, um your immediate reaction is they're not um, naturally pro-science, pro-innovation, pro-university. I think that may be a bit unfair um, because it, it may be that they've never been sort of exposed to those arguments um, that been sort of deeply immersed in some of the discussions. Um, I was reflecting the other day that, you know, if we go back to um, the sort of 97, um, early 2000 period when sort of Peter Mandelson was Secretary of State and Biz. Um, knowledge-based economy was king. Um, the you know there was sort of the heyday, if you like, of um, science funding in the UK, and that argument has been accepted by successive governments since then. And the science sector in the UK has been pretty good at making the case why science funding um, and a science-friendly um, government and science-friendly regulation is important to help drive that knowledge-based economy. I think we have to go back to those arguments because I still think they're pertinent. I think they're even more important today, but we probably need to refresh that case and make that case to the new government. I don't think that's an impossible task. I think that's quite an easy task because the logic is so compelling, um, but that's something we need to do as a
0: sector. It does seem odd, to say the least, that a centre-right government is now talking about the need for industrial policy. Are you suggesting that industrial policy may come at the expense of a focus on a knowledge-based economy? Are the two almost in, in opposition to each other?
1: I, I don't think they need to be in opposition to each other. Um, I, I think, you know, I have to say, I think if we're how we define industry, um, an industrial-based economy, if we're looking at hard engineering, um, heavy investments in plants and such like, I, I think that's probably slightly wishful thinking. Um, But if we're looking at the sort of more high-tech, more nimble industries, um, development of satellites, um, that sort of stuff, um, then I think they go hand in hand.
0: Well, when you said earlier, by the way, an objective now of the United Kingdom uh, should be to make it the world's best innovation economy, as you know, as well as I do, not better than I do, quite some time ago, maybe 15 years ago, the EU as a whole had this, had this ambition right, to create the largest knowledge-based innovative economy in the world, and that clearly hasn't quite happened or turned out as it, as it was originally uh, intended. Is, is there a case to be made, just to, just again to provoke you, that the UK might be more successful creating this uh, best innovation economy outside the European Union?
1: I I think there is a case to be made, Um, uh, again it's a case that I'm sort of uncomfortable in making but in the new reality sort of find myself reflecting on and making. Um, So I think, you know, I I remember writing a piece um, a a while back, I think it may have even been for eShark, I (laughs) remember, Um, looking at the sort of the Issues around bureaucracy, burden, um, need for mobility and nimbleness in the context of innovation, um, and you know the sort of the, the most innovative economies that you know the Israelis, of this world and, and Norway, and what have you, um, have managed to sort of create an environment where um, you know sort of the idea succeeds um, and it's not held back for whatever reason. And I think there is an opportunity in the UK for us to go down that route. I think that lots of things need to. Um be in place um you know clearly we need skilled people we need entrepreneurs we need innovators and they've got to be feel comfortable um in this country and um, we need that to happen we we need um funding and, and you know that's not necessarily public funding it could be private funding um but you have to you know take ideas to to market or to service um and you um need a culture that allows people to fail um and in one sense you know my sort of anecdotal experience comparing Europe as a sort of continent to sort of North America is we're still not very good at allowing people to fail.
0: You said at the very beginning that you, you accept the decision on 23rd of June, Brexit, to call it, to quote our new Prime Minister, Brexit means Brexit, and people like you have to make it make it work, or do it the best you can. What struck me during the campaign, and even since the campaign, is actually people like yourself and scientists and researchers and people who are not normally political were quite political, because they could see the stakes were so high. Uh, since the vote, I mean, although you say Brexit, we have to make Brexit work, do you still see a, a role for your, you and your colleagues and your broader community to be more um, proactive in the democracy? debate? debate, even without waiting to be invited to be active in the debate.
1: I I do. I I think there's something that um, all researchers across all disciplines, not just the scientific ones, need to reflect on in the sense that I don't think we're very good at making the case, making the argument. Um, The the, the, the fact that the anti-expert sentiment um, is allowed to fester is actually a failure of us as a community, and we need to face up to that failure. I think a lot of research um, is focused on observing what has happened. It's quite passive. Um, it doesn't try to resolve issues. Um, and when I say issues, it, you know, look at social policy, um, go back to education levels, go back to the um, deep levels of disenfranchisement among many communities in the UK and what cause that. We were observing it, but we weren't working out what we could do about it. I think there's a very interesting analogy I was discussing with somebody recently about um, the crisis in biomedical science around the um, the emergence of HIV. Um, And that community, um, biomedical science community, I think were very much caught short by the um, campaigning to develop um, treatments for HIV. They didn't know how to react to it. There was a view um, from various um, groups in society that the biomedical scientists were only pursuing what they were interested in. Um, They couldn't come up with quote-unquote a solution. Um, I think that led to some radical changes in the way that biomedical science is supported. Um, We hear a lot about translational research. We hear about getting research from bed to bedside. Um, In the Ebola crisis, we developed a vaccine in six months. Um, And I think there's a, a lesson, or at least a um, an analogy with that story, compared for sort of social sciences and the humanities, um, and maybe Brexit will be a wake-up call, and we need to, you know, n- not stop trying to understand what happened, but as we understand what happened, think about how we can improve the lives and outcomes of people who feel so. Um, Disenfranchised in their
0: communities. So, if I understand you correctly, it's not just a question of better communication skills, trying to, you know, reach out to broader audiences to explain the value of what you and your community are doing. It's also a question of you yourself, not just as you're saying, be content with observing, but also to suggest practical solutions. But what is the origin? That why why is this been such an embedded view of people like yourself that we our job basically is to observe and to analyse and to and to consider rather than produce sort of policy recommendations and or solutions.
1: Yeah, so I think that's a a long history of the incentive system in the UK so if, you, if you're an academic, and I'm a new academic I've only been an academic for two years but if you're an academic you have been measured for the last 30 years on the number of books, the number of papers you publish the number of PhD students you train um, not your contribution, your benefit um, to society that's changing, incentives have changed they changed in 2014 in the UK um, but we need to see a new um sort of academic research system that whilst it's still focused on scholarship, still focused on sort of basic discovery research, has a understanding, has a social contract that it needs to deliver on some of these really complex, really um intractable social problem, social policy challenges we face. And I think in, in one sense Brexit was a wake up call for us. As the HIV crisis was a wake up call for the biomedical community.
0: One final question. I'm conscious this has been obviously a very uh, UK centric discussion. Yes. Uh, having said that, um, do you have any views on to what extent the issues we've been discussing for the past quarter of an hour or so also have relevance in other member states of the European Union? Uh, we, we'd like to pride ourselves, UK being kind of a very uh, preeminent uh, centre of science and excellence, but to what extent are these issues we now have in the UK post Brexit also applicable, uh, relevant to the European Union as a whole? I
1: think they are relevant. Um, I, I, I say that sort of cautiously and hopefully uh, with some modesty, because I don't want to come across as preaching. But I do think that um, you know what we have experienced in the UK um, for people like myself was a deep shock, um, deeply unpleasant, um, professionally and personally. Has really sort of um, made me wonder um, what I am doing professionally and you know and how one makes a difference and how one um brings research data analysis to improve the outcomes of people, which is fundamentally what we should be about. Um and we failed at that and you know that's quite a um when you look at yourself in the mirror and you realise that that's quite a um, a shock, something to um reflect on. Um but I don't think that's necessarily a UK specific issue. Um and yeah I think we're seeing that in the US with um Trump and we're seeing it in other countries um across Europe and I think as um as experts as merit-based elites, um, as people privileged enough to make decisions and inform and develop policy, we really have to think hard about what we've been doing over the last generation and how we're going to improve the outcomes of those people who feel so disenfranchised from society.
0: Jonathan Grant, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.